Welcome to H2 Tech Talk, the web's most sustainable podcast and your premier destination for expert insights into the global hydrogen sector. Dive into our informative series as we explore the latest advancements, news, and trends in the realm of sustainable energy. H2 Tech is a leading source of up-to-date, compelling discussions around hydrogen technology. Don't forget to subscribe and share to stay connected with the world of hydrogen innovation and sustainable solutions. Now, here's this week's episode. Welcome back to H2 Tech Talk. We are live at the Hydrogen America Summit. I'm here with Tim Sassin from Ballard Power Systems. Mm-hmm. Um, how are you doing today, Tim? I'm doing great. Loving the event. Having a good time. Loving the event. All right. All right, so let's get started with that. Uh, uh, did you did you attend last year? This is the first one that I've attended. Uh, I think they've done a great job with the event, and I think everybody's been gearing up for this. Everybody's been talking about this event in particular for a couple of months, so it's great to see all the industry diehards showing up. Mm-hmm. It's a big event. I mean, I could say I was here last year, and um, it's grown exponentially. Uh, I would say not even half as big last year, so... Um, great progress right so uh let's dive into you a little bit um can you tell our listeners uh, a little bit about about ballard and your role with the company ballard has been in this game for 44 years now jeffrey ballard started it back in 1979 his idea was to replace the internal combustion engine we're almost there getting closer um and always dedicated to heavy duty mobility the first thing we did was a bus and the first one that we made was in 1993, so this is the 30th anniversary of those buses. We're headquartered up in Vancouver, British Columbia, and we have manufacturing for our fuel cell modules for transit buses in the U.S. in Bend, Oregon. Fuel cells are all we do. We just make that box that turns hydrogen into electrical power to replace what batteries would do for better operation and, and longer range. So I started with Ballard back in 2000 when they were starting a new program for Europe uh, for Daimler. First on the engineering side and through a series of deployments, gradually working over to the commercial side, where now I'm looking at the entire United States as we expand out of California into multiple states across the U.S., and we're seeing tremendous growth in that industry and also in trucks, starting to see interest there and just starting up in marine and rail applications. So in my work, I get to go out and tell people about all the wonderful things that hydrogen and fuel cells can do in those sectors and to help them find the partners that they need and the resources they need to get those initial fleets up and going. Okay. Um so uh, you unpacked a lot. So starting in Canada, how, how was the transition into the U.S. market? It was good. In fact, the U.S. has in some ways been a stronger proponent for the products of Ballard than Canada has. Canada has gone back and forth through different policy changes. We've done some deployments in Vancouver. The 2010 Olympics, we had 20 fuel cell buses that were going back and forth to Whistler. And technically... They performed excellent. Uh, They were in harsh conditions, winter conditions, with corrosion, high altitude, and terrain. And they did their service, and they did their job. But they were expensive at the time. And the BC government saw that price tag, and they said, no, we can't do this moving forward. Well, the problem is we weren't at our price point back then. Uh, We were at least twice as expensive. And hydrogen was quite rare, the zero-carbon kind. So Canada has been watching what we've been doing in the U.S. We've had much more patient policies in the U.S., or at least funding streams through the FTA. 
the FTA's Tiger, now the Lono program, has been transformative for zero emission buses and zero emission vehicles in the industry. And particularly for us, we find that the first adopters of fuel cell electric buses typically take advantage of the FTA's low-no program. And recently that's been expanded uh, by over six-fold. It's over a billion dollars now in, a five, in five successive years, which has been super impactful. And so the U.S. has really started to move far ahead and into a more mature development of the hydrogen economy. Canada's starting to pick up. We saw that yesterday in the presentation from Canada. They're starting to dedicate real resources, real money towards programs to get decarbonized fuel and to get the end users out there. So we expect Canada to start stepping up very soon. We've got a couple of fuel cell buses up in uh, Alberta uh, at Strathcona and Edmonton. They're in uh, cold service. The operators love those buses. They're ordering more. Canada, uh, several cities are about to announce deployments. So it's been a wonderful environment for us in the United States. We're looking to expand in the United States quite dramatically, but we look to see Canada stepping up quite soon. And then probably in another five years or so, Latin America. We're already getting interest uh, from Chile and uh, from Brazil and several different entities in Latin America where it makes the, sense, makes the most sense first. That, that makes sense. Uh, I'm not surprised that you named uh, both of those countries at all. Uh, so... Uh, let me ask you about Canada. Do, do you foresee any IRA-esque uh, policies being put in place anytime soon? There's already talk about at least carbon fuel standards and carbon pricing. Uh, they're starting to work on those policies. Most of the world has looked to the U.S., as a leader now with the passage of the IRA, particularly Europe was quite set aback that our policies became more lucrative and more interesting to hydrogen producers than what was going on in Europe and has attracted a lot of development here in the U.S. that might have started up uh, in Europe. So we expect to see the same thing in Canada where the success of these policies and starting up new projects will be adopted in some form by the Canadian government. Probably, like I say, maybe a two to three year lag, but they are, are watching uh, with the U.S. as a leader, not only California, but now the, the federal government uh, and other states stepping up with uh, new creative and effective decarbonization policies. Fair enough. So, uh, so let me ask you, in the U.S., do you where do you see the most growth right now? Um, West Coast or anywhere else in particular? Um, Definitely on the coasts, we're seeing a great interest in New York State, which is fantastic. California has long supported zero emissions, and, and the taxpayers of California have really provided for a lot of what we've done to advance the technology, to get it up to where uh, everybody else can start to afford it. Uh, but we're seeing other people step up. Um, as I said, New York State... Uh, very aggressive. New Jersey also, some very uh, aggressive policies for decarbonizing. We're seeing activity in the Northwest. Washington State, very active with new hydrogen production projects. A couple of uh, new fuel cell fleets uh, for buses starting up there. And I think, of course, once we see the hydrogen hubs announced, that will tell us where industry needs to focus. That's probably one of the greatest things that the hydrogen hubs will do is simply to point us all in the same direction, align the industry towards distinct regions of development, because for hydrogen, that is extremely beneficial. Transportation costs for hydrogen can be a significant component and can actually take projects out of viability. So when you can build 
your uses near where your production is, naturally that, that happens and, and improves the economics of it. So we'll see those centers of activity expand from California and New York out, particularly where these new hubs are selected. Texas obviously has tremendous operational capability for hydrogen. Texas has been dealing with hydrogen for a very long time, and there's lots of resources there. We'll see when policies are right at the federal level and when industry can bring down our capital costs sufficiently, uh, Texas is going to light up and probably be a leader in, in uh, renewable and clean hydrogen. Well, Tim, you know I'm from Texas, so whenever you start <laughs> saying positive things, it's yeah, I just love hearing it. Um, well, I got to sweet talk you a little. Bit. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> um, so, I mean, as you said, Ballard uh, focuses mainly fuel cells, or that's your main focus. Uh, you actually, don't you manufacture uh, bipolar plates as well? We consider ourselves vertically integrated. So, yeah, when in the world of the fuel cell module in the box, we make all the parts. So, we've been doing our own bipolar plates uh, all along. We've always used carbon. Uh, and that's significant because carbon is a bit thick. It's hard to make a carbon stack, carbon plated stack fit in a, in a passenger car. And so most of our competitors started in the passenger car market and started with metal plates, which are very thin, but expensive and very limited in lifetime. They got about a sixth of the lifetime. They're going about 5,000 hours. We're going about 60,000 hours. Okay. We're starting to see new people come onto the market. Those new people are using carbon plates because heavy-duty applications are clearly going to be a tremendous growth area for fuel cells. Passenger cars are struggling right now, mostly due to infrastructure concerns. So we make... All the parts and pieces inside because every part is so interrelated. A fuel cell is so simple. There's really two basic parts. There's the bipolar plate and there's a membrane in between. Uh, and it's a sandwich of plates with a membrane in between. But the way that you make those things, we've invested over a billion and a half dollars into it over four decades. Uh, the way you make the seals, the way you make the flow pass for the gases and for the liquids, the way these things compress together, it's all extremely sensitive. But when you dial it in, it's highly repeatable. Um, and we've been working a lot on automotive, automated manufacturing to keep that high repeatability, very high yield rates uh, to very precise production standards. So we try to keep everything that affects the performance of that stack in-house. That's what we're good at. And everything outside of that, we leave to our customers. So that's why we're so limited in scope. We just make that box that turns hydrogen into DC power because that's what we're good at. Everything beyond that is what our customers are very good at. Well, that's fair. I mean, stick to what you know and um, maximize it. Do it as well as you can, right? Agreed. All right. Okay, well, so Tim, I don't want to take up too much of your time. Um, I really do appreciate you taking a, a moment to speak with me. Um, do you have any takeaways, uh, closing thoughts you'd like to give the listeners? I think that people in the hydrogen industry need to realize that the time for maturity is already here. We need to act as responsible commercial participants in the energy industry and be pragmatic about our solutions. We need to be talking to everyone else who plays in industry, whether they're green in energy or not, because everybody's going to be participating in this energy transition. And we're going to be most effective when we get those people that are making non-renewable energy transition over to renewable energy rather than cutting them out altogether, because they've got a lot of capabilities that we're going to need to do. We've only got about two and a half decades to make this transition, and a lot a lot of the things we need to build last at least that long. We can't be making mistakes. we got to bring everybody in. It's got to be collaborative and not combative. And that is what I'm starting to see in this conference, and that gives me a lot of hope for the future. All right. Wow. Excellent closing thoughts. Um, yeah, I, I look forward to see um, you in the future, future events, and see what Ballad does moving forward. Um, 
as they expand in the U.S. market and, you know, maybe beyond to Latin America, Europe, maybe? Yes? No? Uh -huh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're already very active in Europe. What I want is the U.S. market to expand even greater than Europe. We're looking to, uh, to accelerate ahead of them. They've been leading us a little bit in hydrogen and fuel cells, I'd say maybe two or three years, are kind of the same lead we have on Canada. But the IRA and all the policies that we put in right now that we've been talking about could leapfro leapfrog us ahead if we, if we play our cards right. All right. Well, thank you again, Tim. And thank you to the listeners for tuning in to another episode of H2 Tech Talk. Please remember to share and subscribe. Thanks for listening to this week's show. Don't forget to subscribe and share to stay connected with the world of hydrogen innovation and sustainable solutions. Email your comments, questions, and suggestions to tyler.campbell at gulfenergyinfo.com. 